Well, welcome to CLCC Online. Today, we pray that this message draws you towards Jesus and strengthens your walk with Him. We as a church believe that we are meant to do life in community. So if you live in the Fraser Valley area, we would love to get you connected into our family. You can find everything you need at our website, clcc.ca. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes, and uh, thank you for, uh, well, just listening to us and, and watching us. A special shout out to Aldergrove CLCC. I trust you're having a great Sunday. We're beginning a brand new series this week called Fresh Start, the Book of Ruth. Have you ever noticed that everything in life that is worthwhile requires us to make new beginnings? You know, just from the very beginning of life, learning how to walk, uh, we fall down, we have to get up so often. Imagine what it would be like if, if your, your toddler is just beginning to walk and the first time they fell, said, oh, we're not going to do that again. Uh, we, we don't want you to get hurt. We're just wrap you up in bubble, bubble wrap and you never try that again. Well, they'd never learn to walk. Very few things in life can be accomplished on the first attempt, whether it's uh, new businesses that are begun, or even new churches, or, or uh, whatever we are doing in life. It, it requires us to often start again and again and again to get it right. In fact, success means we get up at least one more time than we fall down. <laughs> I often think that if, if I'm going in the right direction and I fall, when I get up, I'm at least, well, about six feet closer to the goal. Because often I'm not six feet tall, but when I fall, I, I skid a little bit. So it's important to understand that new beginnings and fresh starts are part of the human condition. It's part of what it means to grow. We often need fresh starts in just about all of our life. And, and the story of Ruth is a story about fresh starts, new beginnings. The story takes place 1,000 years before Christ. And the very first verse of the book of Ruth, says that it happens during the time of the judges. Now that should signal us, it should warn us something about this going on in this story. Because the book of Judges is a, is a story about a very tumultuous time during Israel's history. Uh, judges were heroes that God rose up to try to rescue the people from their enemies which were surrounding them. During the time of Judges, the hero would arise, he would uh, save the country, uh, through some kind of victorious act. And then after the country was saved, the country would lapse back into worshiping the idols of their neighbors, the false gods of the neighbors. And because of that, uh, God would stop the rain from falling. He would, he would uh, not give them the blessings and the provision that were guaranteed to them in the promised land if they would serve him and serve him alone. And so the time of the judges was a time where Israel lapsed into uh, apostasy, into uh, the betrayal of who God was and, and betraying uh, God's identity among them. And uh, that's the kind of condition that were going on, that was going on during the time of, of, of Ruth, the story of Ruth. And we learn that there's a famine in Israel, which should be no surprise to us because that's what happened when the people of God moved away from worshiping Yahweh. Um, he stopped the rain, and therefore famine resulted. 
The story tells us that Elimelech, whose name means God is king, and Naomi, whose name means pleasant, leave Bethlehem and move to Moab. Yes, this is the Bethlehem where Jesus, a thousand years later, is going to be born. And the narrator, narrator reserves comment on, on this turn of events, because you have to wonder, what's a nice Jewish couple doing leaving Bethlehem, that name means house of food, and moving to Moab. Now, the Moabites were traditional enemies of Israel. In fact, if you came from Moab and, and you're a man moving into Israel, you couldn't go into the temple. In fact, you, your offspring couldn't enter the temple for 10 generations. And so what's this nice Jewish couple doing moving to Moab, a country which is usually hostile to Israel? Have they lost their faith? Have they given up hope on God and, and God's provision for them? What actually is going on? Well, the narrator reserves comment. He doesn't tell us. We don't know. Well, the book of Ruth also is great literature, uh, kind of Shakespearean in its, in its structure. Uh, the names of the people in the book hold significant meanings. And the introduction to the book and the conclusion of the book have exactly the same number of words in Hebrew. The book of Jonah and the book of Ruth hold a special place in the Old Testament literature. In both Jonah and Ruth, the heroes of the books uh, are outsiders. They are non-Jewish people. Uh, in the story of Jonah, it's the Ninevite king. Remember, the Ninevites were, again, traditional enemies of Israel. And the people of the town of Nineveh who repent and worship Yahweh, perhaps in a more devoted manner than even the Jewish people were worshiping. And so in the book of Ruth, we find that Ruth, the Moabitess, the one who's an outsider, becomes the hero of the story. And all of this is to tell us and to tell the people who are reading the original uh, stories of the Old Testament is that God has his way of accomplishing his purposes, even if he has to use outsiders to do so. So while in Moab, the story tells us, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. Her sons, Melon and Killian, they also die. And she's left with two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Again, the commentator doesn't comment on this. These bad things have happened. Have these bad things happened because God is punishing them? Or are these just the circumstances of uh, living a tough life in a foreign land? We don't even know how they died or why they died. It's just the fact that they've died. And here Naomi is left with two Moabite daughters-in-law, and they set out to go back to Bethlehem because they hear that God is being gracious and is relieving the famine from the land. So at Naomi's urging, although they both three of them have set out, Orpah, one of the daughter-in-law, turns back home. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 11. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters, why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husband? Better stop there. In Jewish law, if your husband died, then his brother or closest relative was required to marry you in order to look after you and look after uh, his, his brother's name and also to provide for the children who would look after you in old age. So, so there was a law that, that even if 
uh, the, this this husband's brother was married previously, he had to take you on as a second or third or fourth wife in order to look after you. And so this is what Naomi is saying. Uh, why would you come with me? Uh, I'm not going to have any more children. I'm not going to have any more sons for you to marry. Let's continue on verse 12. Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even, I had, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today in the book of Ruth. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you show your loving kindness to us, that you can use anybody to accomplish your purposes. Lord, I pray particularly for those who are feeling empty or alone or feel as if they have come to the end of the road or the end of the rope and have nowhere to turn. I pray that they would turn to you. I pray that they would know your loving kindness, your care, your beneficial love as you extend your arms to them. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we learn in our story that fresh starts don't happen during ideal circumstances. In our story, there's an empty bed, there's an empty house, there's an empty cupboard, and there's an empty womb. In fact, the story begins talking about emptiness. But by the end of the story in chapter 4, it's going to be talking about fullness. You know, sometimes being empty is a good place to start. Sometimes it's out of our emptiness that we begin to call out to God and we realize God's provision in our lives. There's an expression that necessity is often the mother of invention. And that's true in so many facets of our life that, that uh, when we're completely empty, when, when we get to the point of desperation where we have nothing else, else to lean on, then God can provide solutions for us and we can think creatively and do different things that we would perhaps never have thought of unless we were empty. Fresh starts are born out of loving kindness. I hope you see this in the story because this story generally is about God's loving kindness demonstrated through Ruth to her mother-in-law. Let's continue on, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, Ruth's name sounds a lot like the word friendship in Hebrew. Friendship. So friendship is traveling with Naomi to Bethlehem. It tells us that she adopts the God of Israel. She says to Naomi, your God will be my God. So she's forsaken the idols of the Moabites, and she's adopted the God of Israel, Yahweh, as being her God. She makes a lifelong commitment to Naomi. Uh, 
even death, until death, we're not going to be separated. In fact, this, this passage is, was used often uh, years ago in marriages. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people should be my people. Your God, my God. She leaves the comfort of her home. She leaves the comfort of the possibility of finding a Moabite husband there. And she travels with Naomi to Bethlehem to look after her. She, see, she initiates the turnaround in Naomi's life. And we're going to see a huge turnaround in Naomi's life. She's going to go from emptiness to fullness, from poverty to wealth. You see, people who live a life of loving kindness create fresh starts in others. Well, the story continues. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Ah, did you catch that? The barley harvest was beginning. That means the famine has lifted, and that means it's spring, because barley harvest in Israel at these days was happening in May and June. And so the author is hinting here that winter is just about over in Naomi's life, and spring is just around the corner. Although she is empty, there's a glimmering of hope that she's going to be full. But when you look at life through your losses, it's really hard to see new beginnings. Her attitude just drips of bitterness, of depression, of this feeling that God has come out against her and that she has no hope. It could have been a very quiet trip. In verse 18, it says that after urging the girls to leave and after Ruth's response that she wouldn't go, she's going to stick with her to the very end, it says, and she stopped urging them. Literally, in the original language, it says, she said no more. In other words, it it could be implying that what Naomi does from this point on is that she puts her head down and she doesn't talk to Ruth anymore. <laughs> and, and knowing her attitude when she gets to Bethlehem, I wouldn't doubt that one bit. She's depressed. She's very sad. And she believes that it's all God's fault and there's no hope in her life. For Naomi, Ruth is invisible. This devoted daughter-in-law who's left everything to help her, to help provide for her needs, she's invisible. Spring is invisible to her. And she says to the townsfolk, don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, because God has emptied me. (laughs) Back in verse 8, which we didn't read in our text, she says to the girls that they should go back home, and she wishes that God would show them loving kindness as they have shown to the dead, their former husbands, and to her. 
And what she could be implying here is that God could learn loving kindness from the girls. In other words, God hasn't demonstrated any loving kindness to her, but the girls have. And God should look at them and and learn how to show loving kindness. Well, (laughs) this idea of loving kindness in Hebrew is expressed with the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. Can't quite pronounce it like they would in Hebrew. And this idea of hesed or loving kindness, some Old Testament scholars believe is critical or core to our understanding of what's happening to the people of God in the Old Testament literature. God is endeavoring to show his loving kindness, even through the law and the promises and the prophets. God is showing his loving kindness. Loving kindness is his, um, his uh, love to them that's demonstrated in action. And this hesed, this loving kindness, is really being represented in the life of Ruth to Naomi. The reality of Naomi's life is much different than what she thinks. We're going to learn as the story unfolds that she has a wealthy relative in Bethlehem by the name of Boaz, who eventually is going to look after her. We're going to find out as the story unfolds, she's not as poor as she lets on. She actually owns some property in Bethlehem. We're going to find out as the story moves along that she's supplied with lots of food. Ruth is going to go glean or collect uh, uh, grain from the harvest field after the harvests have gone by, and, and she's going to receive just a bountiful amount of seed, barley, that uh, they can live on and in fact sell. We're going to find out as the story goes along that uh, Ruth's going to have a baby. And this baby is actually going to be the grandfather of King David. Wow. And by the end of the story, the the ladies of the town are going to be singing songs about Ruth and Naomi and saying that Ruth is better than having seven sons. Well, what do we learn about new beginnings from our story so far? Well, first of all, we learn that they don't happen during ideal times. New beginnings, spring, often follows winter. Secondly, we learn that those who give up self-interest create loving kindness. And loving kindness is the birthplace of new beginnings. We also learn that we can't see new beginnings when we view our lives through our losses. Hesed in Hebrew is nearly equivalent, excuse me, to the word agape in Greek used in the New Testament. You're perhaps familiar with the word agape. It's a kind of love that's described in the New Testament as God's love for us and and the intent of our love towards each other, which is unconditional, which is demonstrated or expressed through actions. So this idea of hesed in the Old Testament is equivalent to the idea of agape in the New Testament. People who demonstrate hesed, loving kindness, people who demonstrate agape, a special kind of love that's unconditional in the New Testament, create new beginnings in the lives of others. This is what God does. God's a God of new beginning. This town of Bethlehem that they're traveling to, is the town of the greatest new beginning in all of human history. 
the birth of Jesus. Do you know that everybody that you know right now probably needs a fresh start in some area of their lives? I think there's a lot of people today, after coming through COVID and, and uh, the economical down, economic downturns and all the rest, there's a lot of people out there who need fresh starts. Live a life of loving kindness and be part of the fresh start in other people's lives. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be like Ruth, loving and kind. Help us to demonstrate this in the lives of people around us. Thank you, Lord, that you demonstrate your chesed, your agape love to us, so that we can demonstrate it to others. Help us not to see life through our losses, keep viewing the future by looking through the past, but help us to recognize that you're a God of new beginnings, fresh starts, and they're just around the corner. Thank you for your great, great love for us. Help us that to demonstrate that in the lives of others. In your name we pray. Amen. Our doxology for this series is from Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Well, thanks for joining us. If you are looking to get connected, we are one church in multiple locations. Our Alder Grove campus meets at Alder Grove Community Secondary School at 10.30, and our Abbotsford campus has three services at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 on Sundays. We would love to see you at one of our in-person gatherings. And if you would like to financially support us at CLCC, you can always give at clcc.ca slash give. Have a great week.